What's going on? Welcome back to Vantage Point Podcast, where we bring inside keys and perspective to everyday living through the lens of God. I'm your host, Nick, and I'm so, so glad you're here. This is episode five of this eight-part series that we've been in called To Whom It May Concern, Letters to the Church. And like I said, if you've been with us the last four episodes, you know that we are coming from the book of Revelation, uh, focusing on the letters written by John to the seven churches. And while John is the author of these letters, it's Jesus Christ who's ultimately speaking to the seven churches of the Asia Minor uh, province of that time. And what, we're, what we've been learning is not only do these churches um, have some things going on and, and there's uh, some, some key things that they were able to, to understand and gleam and, and put into practice from these letters, but those same things translate to the church today and, and more so not just the church uh, as an organization, but the church body, us as the believers, as the, the people of God within the church, the organisms of the church. And so we want to continue that series today. And we're going into the fifth letter, which is focused on the church of Sardis. And so I want to really uh, start in there at the with the scripture, and it starts in Revelation 3. So we've been in Revelation 2 this entire series until now. Sardis begins in Revelation 3, uh, verse 1 through 6, and it reads, To the angel of the Lord in Sardis writes, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And before we jump into the breakdown of that scripture, one thing I've enjoyed with every episode in this series is we've been able to get some historical context of the city and the church of that time. And so we're going to jump into a little bit of that when it comes to Sardis. And and one of the things that when it comes to this particular city, this particular church, it was the capital of the Lydian kingdom. Uh, the city was set at the foot of a mountain, Mount Tamales. Uh, it was also near the Practilus River, which gave them access to fresh water and gold. And so this city had resources. It gained them a lot of respect in the province. Uh, but of course, it also caused a lot of attention because they're sitting at, at on this mountain and they, they almost seem unreachable. In fact, uh, people actually refer to Sardis as the impregnable city. Um, but again, you know, their, their pride and, and they started to get overconfident in what they had and where they were. And that began to take its toll. And, and so they, they took the impregnable city, uh, title to heart. And ultimately, their security became lax. They became careless in their duties. And even in 549 BC, they were attacked uh, by surprise by the Persians, uh, nearly destroyed the city. And then that didn't 
really get them into the right frame of mind that they needed to fortify and protect and be aware. Uh, they were attacked again uh, by the Greeks uh, not too long after that. And so then, in addition to that, they also had an earthquake. And so after the earthquake, which is around 17 AD, the city was partially rebuilt. And so if we put that to when John's letter was written, which was around 53 AD, uh, Sardis had been through a lot. They've been attacked twice. They've had an earthquake. They've rebuilt the city. And now their resources are dwindling. Their, their reputation is declining. And, and the, even with all of that, the leaders still refused to accept the signs around them. They insisted that they would you know, return to their former glory. And in, in ignorance, they refused to acknowledge the effects of their own ignorance and neglect and continue to stand on past victories, past successes. And the church of Sardis would have known the city's history, right? And, and so Christ's letter had a deep personal relevance to them as well as spiritual importance. See, Sardis means, the word actually means those escaping or that which remains. And after reading John's letter, the believers at Sardis were left with a choice. They could either follow the way of the city's history, tradition, and culture, or they could follow the way of the Lord. And when we, as we break into the message of Sardis, uh, the message that Jesus is giving the church is a bit of somberness to it. You know, like he knows their works in, intimately, right? But he's also aware of this kind of fake facade they display to the world, right? There's two realities that literally are opposite of each other. See, they believe they had a winning culture and history they built for themselves, and by all appearances, they looked vibrant. They had the location, the resources, they're doing well, but inside, they were lifeless. Jesus issues a strong warning to the church in verses two and three. He says, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. See, but not all the believers in Sardis were spiritual zombies, right? Uh, after his pronouncement uh, to, to the church, he addressed a handful of people in, in the congregation who had chosen not to follow uh, in, the, in, the, in the footsteps of their, you know, kind of deceived brothers and sisters. He commends them for not having soiled their clothes in the filth of, in the filth of hypocrisy. Jesus tell them, tells the few they will walk with him dressed in white. And then he offers a glimmer of hope to the church of Sardis and is packaged in a promise. He says, to any who were willing to awaken his truth, stop living the lie and repent. Jesus promises victory. See, their soiled garments will be made white and their names will be written in the book of life to be acknowledged before God and his angels. And, and, and when I read this, I think about churches today. How many churches would we say are spiritually dead? They're resting on accomplishments. They're comfortable in what they're doing, their accolades, but they lack the fervor. They lack the fire of a church connected to the Holy Spirit. And, and see, just like the church of Sardis, Jesus is giving us, the church, the organism, and the organization, you and I, the opportunity to wake up. And see, when, when I mention the church, I'm, I'm again, we're talking about organisms. So when we look at you and I, what is our status? Are we living alive in Christ? Are we um, pushing forward the agenda? Are we Do we have the fervor and the fire as somebody who's connected to the Holy Spirit? Or, or do we just kind of stay in this mundane, 
melancholy feeling that, you know, just gets us by. See, see the strong people, see strong people make a strong church. And see, we can't call out the church needing CPR without first dealing with the people. And, and that's an interesting concept that God gave me in this episode is the concept of CPR. And for those that don't know, CPR stands for cardiopulmonary resuscitation. And it's an emergency life-saving procedure performed when the heart stops beating. Immediate CPR can double or triple the chance of survival after cardiac arrest. And this is where the church is. It's in dire need of CPR. There, there's been a, a spiritual cardiac arrest in the body of Christ. We've gotten too lax. We've gotten too comfortable. And now there's life-saving measures that has to be addressed in order for us to, lie, to, to live and thrive. And a question you might ask is, how did we get here? How did the church get here? And let's start with the Holy Spirit. See, when Christ in the form of the Holy Spirit comes to live inside the heart of each believer, there's a supernatural metamorphosis that takes place. You see, but through Adam's sin, all humanity inherited spiritual death. But see, Jesus is our way, the truth, and life. Our life is in him, and it's his life that shines through us. And it's that same resurrection power brought by Jesus that can bring us back to life, that fuels us, fuels the Christian life, fuels the church. And his church is a reflective collection of that divine light and life of Jesus. See, that's where the organisms that make up the church body come into play. As we allow the light of Christ to shine in us and through us, then the church becomes that light as well. And see, we, we, the church is a physical, see, the church is a physical building. It's not alive. It cannot operate under its own anything. It's a building, right? It's steel, it's wood, it's, it's, it's cement, it's, it's brick and mortar, right? But the people in the church, we determine the pulse of the ministry. And so where, again, where are the people, where are the organisms of the church? Where is our pulse? Where is is that where is our energy where is our action because see when we operate from another power source other than christ the church can officially be identified as dead and see deceased churches rarely recognize they have a condition see a dead church will often continue to function in its own power um and, and they'll give credit to christ see that's the crazy thing they'll be operating in a power and they'll call it christ but it's really not christ and see, um, we, we have to do that. We have to be aware of this because, see, the last thing we want to do is give Satan any more ammunition to his mission. What, what type of ammunition are we giving him as a church that's spiritually dead, right? Dead churches can't discern um, what they've become, which makes them ineffective. And see, that's what Satan wants, an ineffective church, right? And which is, which is a church that cannot go out in the world, they cannot make disciples they cannot go out and show the love of jesus because they're ineffective and see in cpr we have to assess the situation before engaging and i believe uh the church in sardis needed this but we can look at their example and equip ourselves to be aware of the signs of the of church pulmonary failure cpr right <clears throat> and, and let me say this let me ask you first question is your church are you more concerned with boosting your own image than God's. 
See, Revelation 3, 1 says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being val- of being alive, but you are dead. See, when a church becomes hyper-concerned with brand and growth and numbers, that's a sign of spiritual illness. And that's not to say those things aren't important, right? Growth is important. Um, you know, understanding your church, legit, those things are important. But if they're not undergirded in the spirit of Christ and you're just doing it for the sake of the number or for the sake of bodies, then that that illness begins to set through because see the church's pr role or public relation belongs to jesus see that's the goal of the church that is the ultimate number one goal of the church it's not to have a thousand members it's not to have um so many hundreds of thousands of dollars it's to connect people to a living savior in jesus christ see he is the one in charge of building the church and only he can legitimately add to its numbers. Those, Matthew 16, 18 says, those who are being saved, a glowing reputation in a full house of worthless, uh, uh, excuse me, a glowing reputation and a full house are worthless if they're only toe tags of a dead church, right? We want more than just minions in church, right? We want people to be filled we want people to be alive and that's what connects people to a church another question for you does your church leave christ's agenda unfinished to pursue its own revelation 3 2 i found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my god see god's appointed mission for the church is a continuation of christ's earthly ministry see scripture is clear that the church's god-given and holy spirit-fueled purpose is to equip encourage, embolden, strengthen, and train the saints to take the gospel of Jesus to the world. And see, many churches, we can be distracted by financial concerns, outreach schemes, and cultural relevance that the that their human efforts undermine the purity of Christ's mission. And see, Christ has already given us all the <clears throat> what the church needs to fulfill the mission. Our labor is only effective for the kingdom of God when we are working Christ's plan in the flow of his spirit for God's glory. Another question, are the messages from the pulpit human-centered or truth-centered? Revelation 3.3, remember therefore what you have received and heard, hold it fast. See, scripture tells us that there will come a time when people are no longer able to tolerate the teaching of sound doctrine. And and see, in an effort to reach the masses with the gospel, modern churches have compromised sound doctrine for humanistic teaching that won't offend. Again, we talked about this last week when we're talking about truth and love. Um, And and we we get into a point where where we're so modern and progressive, we don't want to offend. So we preach more love, but we separate the truth. Or you go so hard on truth that you can't bring in love. And, And see, it Instead of preaching the word of God that has the power to transform lives, pastors have settled for watered-down versions of the message that promote tolerance and trivializes hard truth. And see, if the church is not willing to hold fast to God's word, guarding it and faithfully to preach it in and out of season, that church is dying or it is dead. It is in need of CPR. Here's another one, another big one. Does your church encourage repentance? Revelation 3.3, yet, and repent, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. See, repentance has been a foundational doctrine preached since the early church, and it's still relevant today. But for some reason, Satan 
has been at work um, to veil the truth about the deadly nature of sin, and he's busy wrapping the truth about essential doctrine of repentance. And see, before his ascension, Jesus told his disciples, that is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. See, if the truth about sin and repentance is never discussed within your church body, it's a sure sign that the Holy Spirit is not active, actively at work among your congregation. And another question, are your church gatherings marked by an atmosphere of spiritual lethargy, right? Revelation 3, 2 says, wake up, right? Strengthen what remains and is about to die. If you and most of your church feels like it's just going through the motions on Sunday morning. Chances are that's what you're exactly doing. See, not every church, not every church gathering will be filled with excitement and, and energy and all the things. But when the body of Christ has the opportunity to come together for corporate prayer and worship, the presence of God should be sensed and experienced as a source of light and life. And see, we, we continue to see, even in scripture, repeatedly uses the analogy of spiritual sleepiness to expose the pitfalls of that complacency and, and deadness that we're talking about. And, it, and it's there to alert us of the fact that our time on earth is drawing to an end. Now more than ever, we need to be alert and actively cooperating with Jesus so that he can strengthen our faith. faith. If your church acts more as a sleep aid than a light source, then it's signs there's a sign that your church needs to be revived. Romans 13, 11 says this, and do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. What a, what a powerful, powerful scripture. I'm gonna read it again. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. As the body of Christ, as the church, it is time for us to wake up out of our slumber. It's time for us to stand up for what we believe in with energy, with fervor, and understand that it's time to resuscitate the church. It's time to connect truth and love, not acceptance, not denial, but truth in love. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for, for what you're doing, Father God. And I um, even right now, Father God, as, as people are listening to this episode, Father God, and we're praying for your churches, Father God. These are your churches, Father God. They're not our churches. They're not a bishop's church. A pet. They are the churches of God, Father God. And so first of all, forgive us for even assuming that this is our church, Father God, or these are our churches, Father God. We humbly, I declare and pray and intercede for every church, Father God, that they recognize who is the rightful owner, who is the rightful heir to this church, Father God. And I pray that they continue to repent, Father God, that they turn their ways, that they resuscitate their ministries, Father God. They reconnect with you, Father God, and bring truth and bring love and bring fervor and fire Father God, and you see a revival that goes across all churches, Father God, no, despite the denomination, Father God, despite the demographics, Father God, that they connect with you once again, Father God. They remember their first love. They remember 
the things that you have done with to them, Father God, you, the things that you have done for them, Father God. It is in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. And while, again, thank y'all so much rolling with us another episode on Vantage Point. Again, this series has been amazing. Continue to like, subscribe, and share. There's so much in store. We have two more letters coming from the book of Revelation, and then we're going to end this series with a letter directly to churches of today. And we're going to awesomely close this series out. We're getting close to the end of this fifth season of Vantage Point. Now, again, thank you all so much for tuning in. And as always, keep seeking insight, keys, and perspective to everyday living through the lens of God. It'll change your life and your world. God bless. Thank you.